Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Cecile Pinn is the author of Wandering Souls, a novel. Cecile grew up in Paris and New York City. She moved to London at 18 to study philosophy at University College London and received an MA at King's College, London. She writes for Bad Forum Review, was long listed for their Young Writers Prize, and is a 2021 London Writers Award winner. Wandering Souls is her first novel, and she is also now long listed for the Women's Book Prize in the UK. Welcome, Cecile. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your beautiful novel, Wandering Souls. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Your book is so good. It's so good. And 
so captivating from the very first scene. It's so like cinematic. Like I felt like I could see every scene that you wrote about and yet so horrific. By page 20, I was already gasping out loud. Do you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> you, you immediately immerse the reader in the story, the characters. You feel like you're there. I don't know. It was so amazing. Anyway. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Why don't you tell listeners what the book is about? Sure, yes. So the the book is partly based on my family history. So my mom was a Vietnamese boat people. She was in Laos at the time. She left Laos, uh, spent about a year at a refugee camp in Thailand, and then moved to France. And on the journey, she lost her parents and five of her siblings in sort of unknown circumstances. And so in the book, you've got Anne, Tan and Min, three siblings who leave Vietnam and then spend a few months at a refugee camp in Hong Kong before settling in the UK during the Margaret Thatcher eras in the late 70s, early 80s. And they've lost my mom, they've lost uh, their parents and their four younger, younger siblings to the sea. And so they're really finding themselves in this new land, having to deal with with grief and building new lives from scratch. And I've also intertwined chapters under the perspective of Dao, who's their diseased little brother, and also some um, nonfiction elements. So uh, there's a bit of archival research and newspaper articles from real life events that happened uh, in the book as well. So those were actual articles. You didn't make them up. Well, they're they're articles based on truth, but I, I rewrote them and, and okay. kind of made them my own. Okay. So, mm-hmm. wow. The way you did that too, where you have a scene and then you show us like, for instance, you know, when the, the group of Vietnamese people ended up in Thailand and those horrific conditions and mm-hmm. the woman running from the burning bush on fire and what they did with the women. And, oh my gosh, it's so awful. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah. it's just looking at the newspaper, it's like, so awful what's going on, not to make this political, but similar to like the atrocities happening right now in Ukraine with the Russian, it's like all this stuff is going on and it's just reported on like, okay, and then you have a story like yours where you get us into the people's minds and we feel like we are on the boat or in the refugee camp or even dealing with not being able to speak the language. Like the way you do, I don't know, the way you did it was so... It was just so well done that I really felt like I was living this experience. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, it can be hard. I think we read so many so many news articles about the refugee crisis that are are always happening in Ukraine at the moment and in, in different countries. And I think it can be easy to feel a bit numb by them. And I, I think in the book, I really wanted to to make our lives and their voices come come to life. And, and I really wanted people to empathize with the characters and and really humanize refugees as well. So how much do you know of what happened to your mom? I don't know a lot. You know, it's something we don't really talk about too much. And I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted the book to have this fragmented narration to sort of reflect the way that I learned about my family history, uh, which is something that I learned throughout the years, bit by bit. My mom would tell me, you know, one, something that happened at the camp or something that happened you know, on the boat, but it's not, I don't really know how my grandparents and my uncles and aunts passed away. I don't know if it was by drowning. I don't know if it was by, by pirates or, or something. So there's a lot, lots of gaps left. I just know the sort of timeline. I know that she was in, in Thailand and I know that she then came to France. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I made the book also um, fictional and why I said it in the UK, which was a way for me to, to fill in those gaps with, with the power of a fiction as well. Tell me about your training and how you became an author. Like, tell me all of your background and how this novel came to be. 
Sure, yeah. So I didn't grow up speaking English. I, I started learning English when I was nine. So I didn't do creative writing in English when I was a child. I liked doing it in French um, as well. It was one of the my favorite uh, like subjects at school. But it's not something that I ever really thought I could do. And Where in France did you grow up? Paris. Okay, amazing. All right, keep going. And then I think I was I loved writing, and I I moved to the UK when I was eighteen to do philosophy. So I started doing um you know just writing essays, and then I thought maybe I would go into journalism, and so on. But then I I joined the publishing industry when I was twenty one, I believe. I worked at Penguin Random House for um, a few years as an editorial assistant, and I think from that point on, I started reading even more fiction. And I think I became a bit less intimidated by the idea of writing a novel because I was in that world already and I, I was just gaining in confidence as well, I think. And then the pandemic came and I suddenly had more free time. And I think I was also reckoning a bit with my Asian identity and I was I was becoming more curious about my Asian heritage and doing more research on my own. And I wasn't this Brexit was happening as well. So I was also thinking about my place in the UK and the place of, of migrants in the UK. So all those elements sort of came together, I think, at the, the right time. I, I just began writing the book with really no no expectations. I was just doing it for myself. And then I entered um, the London Writers Awards, which um, is an award where if you get in, you're sort of in this program, almost like an MA, where you have writing groups and seminars and so on. So I, I got in for the 2021 cohort, which really helped me, I think, gave me a bit more of a structure in taking my writing more seriously. So from January 21 is when I really started writing the book more intensely, I would say. Wow. And tell me about the story of how it sold and all of that. I signed with my agent, Matt, in the, the summer of 2021. So I wrote the book, yeah, for about six months, quite intensely. And then uh, during the summer, we worked a bit on, on edits. I think one of the big editorial work was making the narrative parts a bit more fleshed out and adding a bit more details and things like dialogues and so on. So we did a bit of that. And then we submitted in September 2021 to um, the UK first and then Fourth Estate, which is part of HarperCollins, preempted the book in, in 24 hours, which was really amazing because they were kind of my dream publisher. Wow, that's awesome. And then from then on, we got a preempt as well in the US from Henry Holt, from Ruby Rose Lee, who's now, now left. So that was also amazing. It all happened really fast, which I think I'm grateful for because I think it would have been quite stressful to have that that long period of, of having to to wait to hear back from editors. Um, and then from then on, we got some international territories as well. So we're up to 11 international territories now as well, which is really beyond anything I could have imagined. But yeah, then I, I worked on the edits more for about six months with both the US and UK editor. And uh, here we are. The book got published last week in the UK and it's getting published 21st of March in the US. So... <laughs> Oh my gosh, so exciting! And you wrote it in you wrote it in yes, English. Yes, yes, I wrote it in English because I, I mean I've been um, living here for almost eight years now, so English has weirdly become my first language in a way. And I think I, I it's the language that I did my my studies, my bachelor and masters in. So I think my I see French as the language of my childhood now, but English is the language I think that I have a bit more of an elaborate relationship. I think with the English language, and it's just yeah, I feel more at ease writing in English now. In the book, there's a, a sort of a faded, well, soon to be damaged photo of the family when they were intact. Do you have a photo like that of your family? Or does your mom have photos? Yeah, we have a few photos uh, for my family. So I'm, I'm able to see what my what they looked like, what my aunts and uncles looked like, and what my grandparents looked like. And like in the book as well, we have a little altar and we every once a year we, we burn yeah. the incense for them, which is a very lovely tradition. 
was it hard for you? I mean, like revisiting this is these are not like such happy moments necessarily that you're writing about. You know, it's tough to put yourself in in these situations. When you were doing the act of writing it and like putting yourself in the scene so that you could write about it and make the rest of us mm-hmm. feel so immersed. Like how was that process for you? Like did you find yourself getting really upset? You seem like a very even keel person, <laughs> even though I barely know you, but I don't know. Seem like just very like, you know, even. I don't know. Did you did it destabilize you at all? Did it make you really emotional? Like, tell me about that. Yeah, I think part one was definitely mentally challenging. It's the part where, again, I was, I was reading and learning about sexual assaults and, and the, the horrible things that would happen to refugees on the journey. So I think that that took a bit of a toll on me. And it was also, I was writing at night because at the time I was, I've now left publishing, but I was still working in publishing back then. So I had to write, uh, write between like 10 p.m. 2 a.m. and so it, it felt quite lonely and, and there was a global pandemic as well so I think I you know it's funny I don't really remember now I feel like I've sort of blocked it out of my memory but I, I do remember feeling quite upset and I but I think at the time I I was also very aware that I had to take care of myself and so I would I would always try and make sure to you know talk to friends when I could um go to the gym if when the lockdown was over and try and have like seven hours of sleep, just sort of boring things as well. I think just to keep my mental health, you know, at a, at a good level, but um, it was hard. And I, and I didn't, I didn't want to ask my mom too many questions as well, because I didn't want to distress her. And I wanted the book to come for me. I, I wanted the characters to come for me and not be based on, on my family. So um, it was a lonely process for sure. But I'm, I think it was also a very rewarding one and, and a, quite a cathartic experience. And, and I, I came out of it, I think, feeling much more at ease with myself and with my history and my, my family's story. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Has your mom read the book? She did. Yeah, I gave her an early copy in October, I think. And she was very um, happy. I think it was probably hard for her. But I think she quite liked that, the, even though, especially the first half is quite hard, but there is it ends on quite a hopeful note. And there's some 
some happiness and some lightness as well. So, um, yeah, and, and I think she she said she felt like I was there in the camp, which made me, I was quite relieved about because I was so worried all the time about if I had gotten the details right and and everything. I felt this this burden of responsibility to really be as accurate as possible. So I was quite relieved when she said that it felt accurate to her. Wow. Oh my gosh. What about your dad's story? What's his family story like? He's he's French. <laughs> he's uh he grew up in the suburbs of France with a he's got four brothers, so they're five five boys. Yeah, and my we still live quite near to my grandma in Paris now, which is nice. But yeah, I think they met through through work. Wow, that's awesome. I have like this growing group of authors who have been on my podcast who live in Paris. I don't know why. I've, I keep like <laughs> adding people to the group when I interview a new person from Paris. So I'm going inter- <laughs> to, if you want, I can introduce you to, to oh, the yes, rest of them. Please. That would interested. be great. Yeah, yes, like this, uh, I feel like we're up to five. They go for coffee now. And <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know how it started. But I was like, you have to meet this other person I just interviewed. So. <laughs> Anyway, maybe your publicist can share your email and I'll put you on a chain with all of them. For sure. (laughs) I feel like Paris must be so, I mean, this is like stereotypical, but just like the idea of the glamour and literary history of Paris and the cafes and all of that must make you just feel so like literary (laughs) and inspired, you know, versus like the loud noise and dirt and craziness of New York City right now. (laughs) Do you still feel like that? You know, do you feel that rich history of the literary? I do. I mean, I'm still in London, so I'm I'm mostly based in London. I go back to Paris a few times a year just to see my family. Okay. No, no, don't worry. It's, it's, uh, but I do, I do quite like, I feel like Paris is quiet, you know, and you can kind of go and work at a cafe and, and no one really pays attention to you. So I do enjoy, um, going back to Paris and, and work there when I can as well. And I think maybe this summer um, I'm going to start working on book two this summer and I'm, I'm planning on going to France, I think, to do that. And just it, it would be nice for me to have a bit of a change of scenery and be back in my home country to kind of get renewed inspiration. <laughs> what is your next book going to be about? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. It's still in the very early process. I think it will be more contemporary than the, this one and probably less personal. I think this one was so personal to write. And, and as we said, quite mentally uh, draining. So I think for this new one, I just want it to be more more freeing and, and maybe a bit of a love story as well. And I think it'll probably take place in the present day, but still in the very early stages. <laughs> what made you write, do you pronounce it Dao? The What made you write his story formatted almost like poetry? What was that about? It was hard to get his voice right because he's a he's a child. He's very young, and um, I think the the formatting in the book, the the sentences are not linear, right? They kind of go in zigzags, and I think for me that was just to show on page that idea of wandering that he's he's not very settled. He's always moving around. And the idea, I think as well, the sentences, having those very short sentences was to reflect that really. It's just how I imagine a ghost would be um, someone who would always, yeah, be, be, be in a place sort of in between them, this world and, and the world of the diseased. Uh, it, it's just how I imagined it. And I was very inspired by writers like Max Porter as well and Jenny O'Phil and, and writers who play a bit with form like that. So, yeah. You have to read this book. We have a book coming out from Zibby Books called Hereafter by Amy Lynn and her, I would love you to like blurb it or look at it or whatever, but she also plays with form when she's writing. And it's like, that's a very important component of her story of loss and everything. So 
Oh, I'd love, I'd love to take a look. Yeah, yeah thank I you. I feel like you would like that. Anyway, <laughs> so much for me to do with you after this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who else do you like to read aside from, you know, Jenny Offal? And- yes, I love um, Ocean Vuong. You know, I owe, owe a lot to his writing, I think. And, and him and Kathy Park Hong, I think they're two writers that I think gave me more confidence in, in the story I wanted to tell and, and my identity as a an Asian person in, in the West. Um, I love writers like um, Han Kong as well. I was very inspired by Human Acts, which is a, a Korean novel, which starts during a, a Korean student uprising in the 1980s. And like in the book, it starts with the death of a character and you then have different voices reckoning with, with the aftermath of that uprising. So I like that. I love um, Girl, Woman, Other by Bernard Univristo is another one that, that was very inspiring. Atonement by Ian McEwan. You know, I think that was just a very good novel. And I love how he kind of plays with that idea of the, the power of storytelling to reckon with the past. Uh, something I was really inspired by. Maggie Nelson, you know, I, I quote the right parts in the epigraph. So I love, I love, again, her little, her way of kind of mingling poetry and fiction and nonfiction. So yeah, I mean, yeah, lots, lots of different inspirations. That's amazing. What advice would you give to aspiring authors? One advice that I have for, for, I think maybe a bit more for writers of colors, but I think for all writers as well is just to not feel limited in, in who you can be inspired by and, and what you can write about. I think you should feel free to, to be inspired by, by whoever you want and um, don't feel pressured by the, by what you think people expect you to write as well. And, and, feel free to just write what you want to write. So I think that that's an advice I got, which I thought was really helpful for me as well. And then I would also say um, to really find out what works best for you. I think, you you know, you always have people telling you that you have to write in the morning and people who tell you that you have to write like a certain number of words per day. And I think you also have to spend a bit of time getting to know yourself and knowing what, you know, what, what time are you the most creative? What works best for you in your mental health as well? Because I think there's not just one way to be a writer. You know, you, everyone's so unique. That's great. And when you're not writing or working and publishing or whatever, what, <laughs> uh, what do you like to do? Like, do you like, what do you, in your spare time? Oh, yeah. I like to, well, read, of course. I think they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Writing and reading. So uh, that, I love to go to the movies. I like to go traveling uh, as well. So I'm going to be doing a bit of traveling. I'm going to come to New York actually in, in May, which I'm really excited about. Oh, great. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I like to go, like, I'm quite boring, really, seeing my friends, going to, like, exhibits. You know, I live in, in London, which is a great city. And then I, I like to try and, like, go hiking as well if I can. And I love food as well. I love just cooking and finding restaurants and, and all that. <laughs> Well, when you're here in May, let me know if you want to come by or something. Yeah, I will. Cecile, thank you so much. This has been so lovely. You're so like chic and sophisticated. (laughs) I just love it. This whole, I don't know. You have such a cool energy to you. It's very nice. Oh, thank you. You've got a beautiful house as well. Thanks. Thank you very much. (laughs) Anyway, All right. Well, congratulations on your book and I'll be rooting for you. So thank you so much to be. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.